Welcome to Wait What? Sports Fit Chat with DP and McGee. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. I'm David Paro. We take a somewhat irreverent, sometimes cynical, sometimes serious look at the sports business. So, David, what's on your mind this week? Well, Tim, if there was ever a week that showed us how fast this industry moves and how narratives can shift, it was last week. Uh, for several of the last episodes, we have spoken rather glowingly and rightfully of the NFL product, particularly the play on the field, the positive TV ratings, and a, an ostensible iron grip uh, on the U.S. sports landscape. But before I get too far down the road, I think it's important to say that uh, our guest today is Rini Anderson, the chief revenue officer of the NFL. Needless to say, we were thrilled to book Rini. Uh, as we wanted to largely focus the, the Super Bowl week show on the NFL, the strength of the brand, Super Bowl advertising, et cetera. Because of Rini's schedule, uh, we had to speak with her prior to the conference championship games. That is, we're not speaking to her live during the recording of this podcast. And since the time we spoke with Rini, as everybody knows, a lot of things have happened, namely the news that Brian Flores, the former Miami Dolphins head coach, has taken up a lawsuit against the league and several of the teams, the Broncos and the Giants in particular, alleging racial bias in hiring practices. Now, we don't know where this story is going to lead. I absolutely don't believe it's going to affect Super Bowl 56 from being as big as an event as we expect Super Bowls to be. But this isn't a story that uh, I don't believe this story is going away quickly. And as we have seen by the changing uh, stories coming out and the announcements from the league itself and the commissioner, um, they're starting, obviously, to take this quite seriously. Yeah, I think and uh, one thing to point out, you mentioned that we had to pre-record our interview with Rainey. I don't want any of our listeners to think that she was either avoiding those questions, asked us not to ask them, or that we deliberately avoided the topics. It was just the timing because of her travel schedule. We had to get her there. But yeah, the, the, the Flores... Uh, story is is interesting it's to say the least the the fact that a guy who worked his entire professional life to get to the pinnacle of his profession um, is potentially giving up the opportunity to get another job to stand on principle i think is commendable i think after um, the nfl's initial statements which may have been premature may not have been completely thought out um, Commissioner Goodell, as, as he often does, has come out and addressed it um, directly, saying they're going to bring in outside resources and outside experts to talk about that because it is such an important uh, issue to the league, right? That right now, well, you had Lovey Smith, who was just hired by the Texans, who makes the second uh, African-American coach in the league. But before he was hired, you had Mike Tomlin of the Steelers, who has been one of the most successful coaches over the past couple of decades. Um, but when you have such a high percentage of people of color in the league and only have one uh, African-American coach, there there's obviously work to be done and room for improvement. And I think anybody at the league would, would agree with that. Yeah. Tim, you're right. The announcement that came out immediately from the commissioner's office after news broke of this was surprising. Um, and agree. It didn't seem particularly well thought out. Maybe it was coming directly from the owners that were involved to stand behind them. We don't exactly know. But certainly there was a much more measured tone when uh, over the, uh, you know, more recently uh, when talk about bringing people in and taking a look at this and saying that this has been unacceptable. So the numbers are interesting. Nearly 70% of the players in the league are African-American, and there is obviously a very small number of, of head coaches. The number of assistant coaches is, is quite a bit higher than that, but still not necessarily representative of the, of the number of players. And that doesn't necessarily need to be the goal. You know, the Rooney rule was established. Um, interestingly, that Tomlin has been the coach uh, of such long standing with the Steelers and the Rooney rule named after Dan Rooney, uh, one of the son of the original owner of the Steelers. Um, says something which is kind of kind of interesting about this. But this goes back to 2003. And, you know, to be able to say or to have to say that they haven't necessarily made the strides they need to um, uh, says something. Uh, maybe some maybe, you know, some changes are already afoot, but they are going to have to do some things different. If they do want change, obviously, the Rooney rule in and of itself 
isn't going to uh, hasn't done the job that I think they intended it to do. So it will be interesting to see. I'm very curious as to how they will take this up uh, during the Super Bowl. It sounds as though they're going to take up the issue in pregame. Um, something that they did take up on the Pro Bowl uh, broadcast the other day. Yeah, I actually watched the Pro Bowl. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm curious as to how they handle. But there's no doubt it is now. Flores has been all over the news. He um, the commissioner met with civil rights leaders, uh, I believe, already this week. So a lot of things are already uh, happening, and I imagine they'll have some things to say on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, your point about uh, more uh, people of color in assistant coaching jobs is is uh, an important one to note um, because the the single biggest factor in determining whether or not something gets a head coach, if someone gets a head coaching job, is whether or not they've been a coordinator, offensive or defensive coordinator. Um, and between last season and the current season, uh, the number of coordinators um, who are African-American in the league went from 17 to 25. So that's a that's a good sign, right? So you're filling your pipeline uh, with more and more um, you know, qualified candidates, irrespective of color. But obviously, if you have more uh, offensive or defensive coordinators who are people of color, then you have more people of color who are uh, reasonably can be expected to be good candidates for for head coaching jobs. But it, but uh, I don't know if you want to talk more about this, but I think there's so many other storylines going around football um, just in the last week or two that we can touch upon before yeah, we no, bring Ron Arini on. Yeah, there, there, there sure are. I mean, obviously, you know, heading into this game. Um, I, I am curious as to what your thoughts are on the uh, over-under for viewership for, for Sunday. Uh, I don't know if you want to stick a stake in the ground there. but I, I say, what does it average, between 100 and 110? No, it, you know, it hasn't been – it had that run of going over 100. Like, it's just – it was uh, over 100, over 100. And then th two out of the last three years, it hasn't been over 100 million. Okay. Uh, so I, so yeah, the over under line, I believe is a hundred million. So I'm going to, I'm going to go under on that then. Okay. I just don't well, think there's a, you know, I don't, I just okay. don't see as compelling a matchup as we might have seen if Brady had made it, if Mahomes had been going for a second one by the age of 26. Right. Um, see, I actually thought last year would have been a little, a little higher because of Brady and it wasn't. So mm -hmm. I, I am but last curious. year was so weird. Right, yeah, with ratings true. across the board in sports. Good point. Good point. So I'm going to say it's going to tip it just over. It's going to be under 101, but it's going to be just over. So I had to be a little different than you. I couldn't okay. just, I couldn't go on that same thing. But listen, coming into this, you know, the, the championship games were, you know, averaged almost 50 million uh, viewers uh, across uh, linear television and digital. So, yeah. you know, the numbers have been, have been pretty good. And, and they're, and they're teams that you wouldn't have necessarily suspect to draw that size. I mean, Cincinnati, L.A. is a is a very unique city, and it's just back in there, uh, even though the market's obviously huge. Kansas City has a very loyal fan base. They get damn near, a, you know, a, a hundred percent share uh, in market when they play. <laughs> they might get a so, two uh, share this year, right? Right. So yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I can't wait to see that number. That'll be interesting. Um, for sure. But, you know, and then and then now with New York having uh, sports betting uh, available and just in time, mobile betting got approved. Uh, they already set the single biggest month uh, of a handle um, last month, blew any other number out that had more established, such as New Jersey. Um, so the numbers on the gambling side of this thing might just be huge. Yeah, I I, I suspect they will be in. Uh... Yeah, here in New Jersey, it's uh, we we like Springsteen and gambling. Apparently, it's our <laughs> well, national, was, national treasures. So I was I was wondering. So you probably know this, but New York, as condition to getting a license, one of I think five or six that have licenses to do online betting, um, are charging fifty one percent tax. So fifty one percent of the of the revenue that comes in is is paid in tax to the state. Now, My bookie didn't charge that much. Right, right, right. <laughs> and they're doing it. Now, Jersey was the one that was on the original lawsuit that made it to the Supreme Court that ended mm -hmm. up legalizing sports betting across the country or made it legal for states to do it should they wish to pursue it, which most of them now are. Why isn't Jersey asking for a cut of all that all that revenue? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I, I, I think... That as these deals come up for renewal, I think you're going to start to see 
Finder's much, fee. Much bigger cut for, for the state. I mean, when you're making – what was what was the, the the monthly take in January for – The monthly take was um, – so last year total – Wasn't it like $105 million in, in New York in the month of January and wasn't even a full month? No, it was it was actually over a billion. Over a billion. New, wow, like, New York handled $1.6 billion in sports betting in its first month. So one point six, and and it wasn't a full month, so that's five hundred million, give or take, in tax to the state. Times yeah, twelve a, is five. That's six billion dollars a year. Yeah, I don't. I want to go back and make sure we're looking at it right, and that's the yeah. handle. So I don't think they're taking it pure on the handle. On the handle, what are they yeah. taking on the winnings? On or, the or, yeah, I, on the revenue generated. Revenue so we'd have generation. to go back and do that. We don't want to. You know, yeah. we don't have one of people coming over. But anyway, it's a us. significant with with all of the cuts that you've seen to services in states around the country. It's a tremendous revenue uh, stream for states to take to fund things that have historically been underfunded, whether it's arts, education, uh, state controlled infrastructure. Right. With all the talk, talk about infrastructure with the federal bill, there's a lot of state roads and state. Uh, infrastructure that needs to be maintained. I know in New Jersey, we have a longstanding issue with uh, funding of our uh, pension liabilities. Hopefully that gets taken care of because that's been something that's been a bane to the existence of governors here in New Jersey for for decades, Republican and, and Democratic alike. So, but, yeah. yeah uh, in any state that was standing on the idea that they didn't want to introduce sports betting into the state has to be looking at all the revenue generated by these other states and uh, you know maybe utah will continue to stand on that um but i it's hard i'm hard pressed to think that people can uh can continue to look at what other states are doing and not say we need to move toward it that being the last few that that haven't haven't made legislative moves as of yet personally i don't gamble (laughs) or as uh as my good friend sean morris he says i only gamble with my health um I, I'm part Scottish, and we are the, we are probably the cheapest people on the planet, which is why I, I figure I do not bet. Right? Um, what about you? Will you be betting at all? I, I'm not. I'm I'm half Croatian from a place called Brach, and uh, we get the same we get the same rep of that. So yes, I think it might be the same. I don't. I'm not a better, but. Uh, I imagine there's some pretty crazy bets going around here. Uh, you know, one of the one of the legends in the sports sponsorship business is a guy out of Houston named Mattress Mac. Um, his name is Jim Mackingvale. Fascinating man, by the way. Uh, but he supposedly dropped the biggest individual sports bet and threw down four point five million for the Bengals to win. And I'm sure it's tied to one of his promotions that he does where he gives mm-hmm. away free furniture when a certain team, uh, when something happens in a, in a sports event, but anything you've seen that uh, caught your eye? There was one guy I saw who bet a hundred dollars to win 10,000. Um, if neither team should score a touchdown. I in think the entire got, game or in, a, in the a entire, certain... in the entire Wait, game. What? Yeah. <laughs> I think he got bad information. I think, I think he thought the Jets were playing the Giants. <laughs> um, so, that was, yeah. Um, yeah, that that's very peculiar bet. That's a that's a hundred and one to bet, right? For an event that I mean, you have to be able to look at how often that has happened. And it seems as though the odds are very low that that would happen. You'd want a little better payout. But listen, you may have stupid money and just say, "What the heck," you know. Uh, but for that kind of weird bet, it would seem the payout, you'd want the payout to be a little bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I read somewhere that, um, 18.2 million adults will be betting. So think about the money that we just talked about. And 18.2 million is obviously a significant number, but think about the people that see other people betting. And now when they're getting hit with this brand new, you know, uh, absolute tidal wave of marketing and advertising from these companies, Caesars and FanDuel and DraftKings, et cetera. Um, and think about what that number is going to be next year. It's going to be way bigger than that. So it's, uh, it is a fascinating uh, part of our business that we're going to have to dive into uh, in the future quite a bit. And if I'm not mistaken, um, one of the ads in the game is going to be 
um, about responsible gambling. And again, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's a Caesar spot featuring JB Smoove as Caesar and, and the Mannings. So because he is the guy to always speak about responsible behavior and all things, yeah. you know, right. like his character from Curb. <laughs> Um, yeah, no. So thoughts about the advertising. I mean, this is this is a big part of the game is the advertising. Uh, I, over the years, have generally uh, uh, written blogs and so forth and talked to classes about advertising and what the goals are. But it's always funny to see the trends and the categories. And obviously this year uh, we know, you know, that these these individual 30 second units are getting now upwards of 7 million. It was 7.1 million for the last spot. And that, that is no doubt driven by something that we have talked about earlier. And that's crypto sponsorship. And to some degree, the sports betting advertising, uh, because, you know, they're willing to spend that money and want to get into that audience. I know there are multiple, um, crypto platforms that will be advertising. Obviously there will be several, uh, sports betting. I think Caesars sounds like they're going to be dominating the space. And they've obviously already set this up with the Mannings uh, as well as JB. So I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to seeing where they take that story. But I do think part of the commitment when you go in and get one of the licenses via state is that you have to commit a certain amount of money to. And the league, you know, obviously pushes that as well, um, you know, to market and support, uh, you know, this idea of responsible gambling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to go back to your, your thoughts about the ads, I, I'm old enough to remember when advertisers didn't um, didn't release their ads until game day, right? They kept them embargoed. They wouldn't show them. And in fact, in the most probably extreme circumstance, and then they would run their the ads in, in regular rotation on regular programming after the Super Bowl. But in the most extreme case, Master Lock, used to run an ad one day a year during the Super Bowl where they would um, show a lock uh, that was on a uh, on a target, a bullseye target, and somebody would shoot a rifle through the lock and the lock would hold. And all these years later, I still remember the ad. So it's pretty effective advertising. But now, and then with the advent of sort of the web, um, then um, ads were shared uh, over the web before the um, before the game, and ultimately, then on social media, they were shared prior to the game in order to try to hopefully let it make it go viral. Now I'm seeing that ads are having trailers like movies, so they're not releasing the ad; they're releasing a trailer about the ad. Then they release the ad. Then they show the game or the ad during the game. And then they show the ads subsequently in, in a regular media buy. Right. It's a little bit back to the future on that. So they're doing similar things to what they used to do to try to make it exciting and new when people see it for the first time, but teasing it so they're ready to expect it. And a lot of that is driven by stars. There's this Seth Rogen concept that's mm -hmm. out there uh, that I've seen quite a bit that I think is for uh, uh, with Lay's. And so, Paul Rudd, you know, and I was going to channel my uh, my inner forty um, year old virgin, but uh, <laughs> I, I, their their back and forth while they were playing video games wasn't entirely appropriate for this audience. Right. Um, <laughs> yes, because yes, because we have a very you know Gen Gen Z audience here. Well, if you go um, to if you by the way, if you go to Apple Podcasts, which Everybody on this listening to this podcast should do. It says that uh, we are G-rated. So right. Okay, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I got to keep it in check. We yeah, might be the, we, we might be the only we, that. we might yeah. be the only media property in the world who actually tries right, to right. get something well, but, other than a, <laughs> a clean rating. But back to the point of what the marketers are doing. Obviously, they're trying to create the buzz, and in this in this world that we live in right now of social media, you've got to try to dominate the storyline. You've got to create a life for these things after because they are expensive. And then you have to plan how it how it rolls out and how you're going to push something to be viral and then how you're going to have it live forever uh, on your YouTube channel. So there are a lot of things uh, to consider. By the way, that Master Lock ad that you talked about, 
if my memory serves me correctly, they spent their entire marketing budget on that one ad. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Um, and it was incredibly effective. I don't know if it sold locks, but it certainly, it certainly garnered attention and was memorable. So no, you're right. You and I look at a lock nowadays, and the first thing we think of is, is it a master lock? Mm-hmm. And if it's a master lock, we know it's got to be pretty solid because <laughs> it took the bullet. Right. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be fun to watch these things on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about some of the more memorable ads next week, but um, they're always there's always at least a few. Some years are better than others, but there's always some really memorable ads that either, you know, make you think, laugh, cry, or yes, say, wait, what? Wait, right, exactly, which is pretty much the thing we should all be looking for those moments where you can just say, wait, what? Yeah. So what do you think? Take a quick break, bring on Rini. That works for me. She's uh, she is one of the best in our business, and I'm really excited to have her as a as a guest. It's time for our guest. We've had a lot of great guests so far, and we've got a lot more scheduled in upcoming episodes. But I am particularly excited to have uh, our guest today, somebody I consider a longtime friend, Rini Anderson. Rini is the Chief Revenue Officer and Executive Vice President of the NFL. So, Rini, welcome and thanks for joining. Wait, what? Yeah, thanks, guys. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's get started. We have a lot of things we'd like to ask you about. You've had such a great career at the NFL and and before that. But I remember, uh, gosh, it was almost 15 years ago. I was in a meeting um, where the league was making a presentation, and they – alluded to the fact that they were going to turn the NFL into a 365-day-a-year sport. Now, having spent a lot of time working for a company in Dallas, I can tell you that you could turn on sports radio down there any day of the year and they would talk about the Cowboys, but I think that was sort of the exception to the rule. But my goodness, have you guys done that? Um, how did you do it, and and what sort of the – What's sort of the, the strategy that's behind turning the sport into a 365-day-a-year relevant uh, property? I think there's like a week. I think there's one week we have off, which is like the 4th of July, kind of like that's a quiet week sort of in the NFL. But I, I think there's plans to change that, so I'm sure we're going to plan a calendar initiative there. You know, I think what we've been doing is really – focused on fan behavior and following the appetite of the fan. And we know that when the last piece of confetti falls at the Super Bowl, that although whoever is crowned, you know, world champion in that moment, there are 31 teams who believe the next day that they're up, they're going to win the Super Bowl the next year. And so as we think about that cadence from the Super Bowl to training camp to the draft, we really have spent a lot of time on focusing on that fandom that frankly so many people have as they're focused on college football, which is, you know, I, I went to Ole Miss, I'm from the SEC. So, you know, college sports is, is a religion within that, you know, that conference, obviously, um, as you know, clearly all the schools in the SEC are amazing. Um, but, um, but as we thought about that fandom, how we could continue to build that enthusiasm. And, it, and when you think about it, as we go into training camp, and really the focus of who is going to be drafted, that frankly, that that idea of, of making that next team the possibility, um, it, it's pretty exciting. And then as we get to that momentum and the drama behind where someone's going to be drafted, I mean, the event itself is the commissioner on a stage handing a hat to someone and a man hug, and the drama is intense. I mean, we were, we were really fortunate during the pandemic to – to take the draft and bring bring the draft to people in a unique way from homes. And what we saw is that that passion for the sport continue. But, you know, years prior to that, as we go to different cities, this past year we were just in Cleveland. This year we're going to Las Vegas. There is a Super Bowl engagement excitement around that kind of off-the-field moment. Um, 
And so that's something that we continue mainly because of the appetite of the fan. They want more. And to your point, they, they want it during other peak times when we're not really playing on the field. And then as you, as you leave that draft moment, we think about going into the season and then we, and then we go into, I'm sorry, I meant combine, then draft, and then into training camp. It's a, uh, it's exciting to watch as these teams continue to unfold. And we've created unique content around things like hard knocks that that really bring what that moment is like to be a player, uh, to make a team, to not to make a team, and and what that dynamics is like within within the locker room. Along those lines, Rini, the NFL, for lack of a better term, quite honestly, is is just dominating right now in terms of the play on the field. The ratings have been very, very solid. And of course, the share of mind, which is which is important. So you've mentioned a few of the things and the initiatives that got you where you're going. Where do you go from here? Well, I mean, I think we can't ever be complacent. I'm not suggesting we're going to have a Super Bowl on the moon, but I do think that we know that. Wait, consumers... what? Why? Why not? <laughs> Wait, why maybe, not? Maybe, I... Okay, maybe. good. I just, you know, um, be optimistic. You never know. Consumers want more. And I think, and, and we want to make sure, but more mean, doesn't mean more for the sake of more quality. What we've seen this season on the field is quality. Our players are world-class athletes and clearly the world-class athletes on the field but also what they do off the field is amazing as well and as we've been really focused on taking the helmet off the player uh, with our CMO Tim Ellis really making sure that fan engagement is there not just from the playing stats but also what's happening in the different markets and a lot of these guys do so many great things off the field. That's been a real focus there on that engagement that we continue to see grow. And look, the competition is amazing. Uh, the engagement is something that is off the charts. But but that doesn't just it doesn't just happen, right? There's a lot of work that that happens between our league office and all of our clubs and our union in a real partnership to make sure that we're thinking about that collaboration of. How are we thinking about the game on the field? How are we thinking about amplifying the game as well as the men that are playing that game or the women that are coaching and the men that are coaching and officiating that game and all things that surround the ecosystem of the NFL? It would be really simple. It was just about playing football on Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays and during a pandemic, sometimes Tuesdays. But <laughs> it's really that's the the focal point. But so many ripples that come from that that are exciting to be a part of from where we're, we're giving in unique areas and amplifying things like military appreciation, which Tim and I worked together on our first partnership with USAA. They, that might've been 15 years ago um, to, to, you know, helping support awareness for cancer, helping support awareness against domestic violence, helping some more key initiatives like um, within the digital divide to help uh, also with DE and I efforts. So there's so many things that, that, that the simple game of football has the ability to affect change on. And so it's exciting to be a part of all of that. And that just helps amplify that interest on so many different levels. So we all three of us live in the world of sponsorships and partnerships and, and the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl of partnership activation. Um, so what can we expect in the upcoming uh, Super Bowl week in in Los Angeles, how is it going to compare to 2020, which obviously, or 2021, but more, more importantly, how's it compared to 2020, which is, it was one of the last events to take place before the world of sports. Yeah. You know, down. we went to really, well, we last year during the pandemic, when we were in Tampa, we had to reimagine a lot of partner activation. And so, as you know, there's so many different um, legs to the stool of activation. There's, you know, national television, there's retail execution, there's social now there's this virtual uh, execution, which isn't going anywhere. And so we had to really um, pivot and reimagine last season in Tampa because so many people weren't on site. I will say what happened this year, and although the pandemic and, and COVID is, it still exists in a new form, um, everyone is full steam ahead. And, I, and, it, and we're really excited about that because um, we're working together on, on our, our health and safety initiatives, making sure we're all being thoughtful and responsible for consumers and our staffs and employees. But you're going to see um, clearly the the rights that people uh, participate in. I mean, I have a I have a prop area. The Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show is going to be insane this year, like off the charts. Um, if if, you know, rap is your is your flavor, uh, you know, with Dr. Dre and Snoop and Mary J. Blige and Kendrick Lamar and Eminem. I mean, it's going to be crazy and exciting. And but Pepsi is done 
uh, to create excitement around that platform, not just through television, but at retail and socially and through digital. That's just one example of the excitement of taking uh, the idea of Los Angeles and really bringing it to the whole country in a unique way. And that's one form through music. Many of our partners will have the traditional on-site activation through our NFL experience because we want to make sure that we're doing that one-to-one fan engagement that we've always been so great at doing. Um, also, those never, you know, those can't buy, you know, money can't buy experiences that so many of our partners participate in. And so I think the level is amplified because maybe there was a pause on some of the in-person last year. So it just feels like there's so much more. But we, our partners are very innovative in a way you're going to see some of that traditional on-site, traditional television. But you're also going to see kind of new and emerging uh, activations and, and leveraging of those rights which I can't give too much away because some of it's still not public and secret. And so, um, so ultimately, you know, you'll have to tune in and or participate and come by and see, or go to your retail uh, establishment to purchase all your NFL goods uh, the week of Super Bowl to see it all come to life. So speaking of sponsorships and you just talked about, about Pepsi, you have a, you know, the bluest of blue chip sponsors that are partners with, uh, with the league. Um, what opportunities though do exist for brands that maybe aren't of that stature of the Pepsis and Verizons and Microsofts and Visas to, to get involved with the sport, either on a national or a local team level? I think one thing what we've seen very unique is that business to business opportunity there where you can utilize either access to the game to host key clients. And so there are business to business partners that are focused on bringing in other like-minded businesses and utilizing uh, the NFL that way. You know, FedEx has always done a really great job where they'll have NFL players come and do a chalk talk with key small business owners um, who are clearly some of their you know most important clients out there. The other area of focus that we integrate in is, you know, how we're focused on um, small businesses. So Visa does do that, but also areas of DEI with black owned businesses and working with our partners on how we're going into the market to really utilize the NFL, the platform of the Super Bowl, but to do some good. And we have a variety of brands. Cisco is a great, a great example of they go into the market to help us on integrating technology through schools through, you know, that help amplify in the digital divide. And so it, it, there's so many different avenues that you can use the NFL for during that moment in time. We don't do one-offs. So we get a lot of calls like, Hey, I'd like to do, you know, an execution around the Super Bowl um, just because it's the Super Bowl. And like, I, I understand it. It's not like the Super Bowl of balloon festivals. Like it's the Super Bowl. And that's why we're really thoughtful of how precious that, that asset is for those key NFL family of partners um, that are with us for 365 days a year to have that moment. And so it, every brand is really different. And we, we spend a lot of time understanding from our sponsors to our licensees, to our gaming partners, to now some of our, our newer partners in mm-hmm. NFTs with Dapper Labs and, and our media partners. The partner landscape is this huge umbrella and scope. And they all service different customers in different ways. And so uh, it, you can be from the top of the Super Bowl halftime show to um, an NFL experience location to a business to business moment or to in market giving back into the city. And those are just a few small ways that, you know, you can participate. And speaking of partners, your your newest media partner, Amazon, is is uh, scheduled to take over a Thursday night package next year. Um that's gone to a couple of different rights holders over the last few years. What can we expect that's new and different from Amazon? Well, I think what's been great about our partnership, we've been partners with Amazon in a variety of different ways from our Amazon AWS partnership, where they worked with us on next generation stats and really, you know, thinking about uh, the cloud and how we think about some of our data specifically. I mean, they help us run the schedule every year, which is pretty wild. Um, to a traditional within the Amazon world of, of, of doing some of our games within Amazon in the past. And I think what you're going to see is an, a, an innovation area where they're going to be able to maybe collapse a lot of the things we've all doing been doing separately with Amazon in a variety of ways into one location. You know, we also work with, with Amazon and, and our partnership with Fanatics on a storefront for our e-commerce. And so if we think about, you know, uh, Amazon and what you can expect next year, I think you'll expect great quality uh, they're working with a, a, a variety of partners within the space. Um, I think you hopefully will notice that it's an NFL game like any other NFL game. 
I don't think you're going to see a lot of necessarily bells and whistles. I think they're trying to keep it simple because, again, it's quality versus quantity and making sure that they're bringing the fan um, the game as they want to see it. But what we're going to have are a lot of key learnings from watching it through Amazon on our customer base. And maybe those that are watching it there want it a little bit differently than we do on the linear version. So I think there's going to be a lot of key learnings after this next season that will go into 23 and 24 following that. I can imagine a scenario in which you're able to go directly from the broadcast to the Amazon e- or to the NFL e-commerce site. Like I mean, or something like that. that we're talking about. Yeah. And that would be, you know, that, that's another opportunity that possibly can that we can do there. And I think, you know, when we think about the NFL network, our games are shifting not from Thursdays, but we'll clearly have a lot of uh, special games, either through our London games and a variety of other areas. So it's just another place to really service that fan and again feed that appetite the whole the whole idea about this expansion of rights for amazon is making sure we're we're serving a course core customer but also continuing to grow our fan base and being where those possibly younger fans might be because they're the future of the nfl and we have to make sure that we're servicing that fan and and we're feeding that appetite and so it's really important for the long term uh of growth of the of the national football league yeah, and I know he's not involved with the day-to-day operations anymore, but maybe you can speak to Jeff Be- Bezos about getting that Super Bowl on the moon. Uh, I, you know what? Andy Jassy is the CEO now of Amazon, who is the former CEO of a- a- Amazon Web Services. And I wasn't a part of the negotiation of those deals. I know that Jeff Bezos is, is clearly was involved and is very excited about um, you know the participation. I don't know if he was in space during the time when we announced it yet. <laughs> Um, but that he is very excited about the partnership, and obviously, uh, we're excited that he's involved in the NFL um, for sure. McGee is a master of synergy, and that might be the the best one ever. I mean, that all <laughs> that all comes together. I'm telling you, I, we're on record now because this is recorded. It's your <laughs> idea that uh, that that yeah, we're sticking with that. Late last year, Rini, you added onto your already very full plate sports betting responsibility at the league. Mm-hmm. How can you characterize this category, particularly in comparison to a traditional partnership category? Because we know exclusivities and things like that aren't as standard in this category for certain reasons. Uh, you know, talk talk about you know how you, how the league is working with their partners. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys know it's no secret. We were a little later in the sports betting uh, race than a lot of other people, and we took our time because we knew that that when when we started to integrate within the sports betting space, it was going to have an impact on the industry, and and you know, positive or negative, it possibly. And so we were really thoughtful, and and as you all know, a couple of years ago, probably three years ago, we ended we integrated into daily fantasy, as well as casino partnerships, really to test and learn and get as smart as we could on the industry. And we spent a lot of time on making sure that we were focused on the integrity of the game, also responsible gambling, because it's one thing to just to get into sports betting and say, hey, we have a sponsorship, but understanding your responsibility that comes along with that. And, and that's one thing that's very different than maybe, you know, a, a cracker brand. I don't know if we have a responsibility to the public when you're with a with a food or a salted snack, for instance. And so we clearly have a responsibility to our fan base uh, as we think about sports betting becoming legal in key markets, the NFL jumping in. So we took our time. Um, we launched this, this season uh, what we call the tri-exclusive model, which was not the model we expected. When we went to market, we really were thinking about doing one exclusive deal. That's kind of what we do. We don't, we don't typically do tri-exclusives or quad-exclusives. And what we learned is that the partners that we have offered all very different insights into how they would leverage their rights and, and, and how it would come to life. You know, Caesars... You know, they're doing some great, you know, they've got really fun advertising with J.B. Smoove and Halle Berry, um, but it also ties collectively to all of Caesars offerings at their brick and mortar um, specifically, which is, you know, they've got great entertainment, they've got great restaurants and, you know, so many different areas of focus than DraftKings, who works not only just on sports betting, but also daily fantasy. And then FanDuel, who, FanDuel, who works with us on free-to-play. And so it, it was really something that we didn't expect when we went to market. But as we started to look at all of the offers, 
it's there was somewhat of a path forward where they all could live and differentiate themselves in a unique way. Because you all know a partner doesn't want to share the space, right? They have to share it with traditional sponsors. They don't want to share it with their competitor. But because we're still in this learning phase, we were able to get to a point. And I think as we look at what sports betting does as we move forward in 2022, I mean, in, in New York, see, my lights go out. This happens sometimes, guys. If I don't move, <laughs> movement. Um, we 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 like the sustainability message. Exactly, unfortunately, right? unfortunately our listeners our listeners won't be able to see the lights. Right. Out uh, two two <laughs> weeks ago, uh, New York became you know uh, legal for mobile betting, and it's been really exciting to see the engagement. I mean, during the NFL playoffs of all time, like great timing. Um, and so, it's been really interesting to see that fan engagement, and and where we're focused on is understanding um, the data, understanding how fans are consuming, and really participating in bets with, you know, prior to the game and the game, things like that, and how we can continue to be as smart as we can in a responsible way. And you're going to see responsible uh, gambling um, ads. We have a, a variety of them that run. You're going to see that forever because that's right. something that we're committed to, to not just a, a, as a revenue play, there's an engagement piece that comes to this, but also responsibility to make sure that we're doing it in a thoughtful right. way. And are all the partners responsible as well if they're going to play with you to be a part of those that messaging yeah so we have we have a variety of kind of like strict line commitments on responsible betting and the good news is they do that anyway i mean they they all invented most of that messaging on responsible gambling and, and betting and so we've learned a lot from them which has been really great and and they are really thoughtful partners to making sure that we are we are thinking about the right way um, and, and so you, you will continue to see our partners also leaning into that responsible gambling messaging as well. Yeah. I saw an ad recently from Caesars using the Mannings uh, talking about responsible gambling. And I, yeah. So, which know, is fun. I mean, it's a, they, they're, they're really great. Um, they're, uh, you know, I, all of their advertising is it's fun. It's tongue in cheek, but also being thoughtful on, on where the areas of responsibility come into play, which has been fun, which is good. I do have one more question um, for you, Rini. Recently, the league um, granted teams the ability to bid for the rights to market themselves in international markets. Mm -hmm. um, what types of things um, will we see coming out of that? Will there be more international games? Will, will we as American fans, because most of our listenership here is, is based domestically. Just like that global audience. We right. do have we do have a global audience. It's not quite as large as the NFL's, but we're but we're not as old as the NFL. Um, but will most of the impact of those teams marketing there be be seen globally, or will we see some effects of that? Like I said, through more international games or other things. I think the key is is about the growing the fan base. You know, being local market, growing that fan base from the ground up, and you can't do that unless you're there. You know, and if I watch a a European soccer team game, I, I may may choose to cheer for Manchester United because I like the color. Like, you know, there's something that's that's there. And our, our goal is to continue that building of the fan base. And you can only do that in an authentic way if you're in the market and you become a part of, of the culture within that market. And so it really is a grassroots effort to build fandom um, it's possible you'll see expansion of games through that. We also believe, though, through our Game Bass product, it helps grow some of the the ways people are viewing our our games here in the states, which is which other teams, other leagues have actually had a great ability to do that. I mean, we see key markets like you know in Mexico. I mean, there are hardcore fans in Mexico City for a variety of teams. So how do we foster that? And and so I think that we're excited for that growth. It's early days on that. And Damani Leach, who runs a lot of our international business out of our office here as COO of the international group, is going to be working closely with our clubs on these key territories because it will be different, right? You can't, what works in one territory may not translate the right way as it relates to execution in another. And we even see that with our games in London, how we communicate the fans and, and games. Like they, they, they're, cultures at sporting events are just different. They don't drink beer in the middle of the game. That's crazy. But yeah, they get up and go and, and go get a, you know, a drink or a snack later. And so there are different things that our teams have to learn, but in that way to be able to take athletes, 
get that fandom and that and that just that passion around the sport and and the players. And so, um, do really doing that from the ground up. Hey, one of the things we love to do with our guests, Rini, is ask them where they get their start. So we'd love you to take for uh, for our listeners uh, a little look back and and how you uh, how your path led you to where you are right now. Where'd your career get started? Where'd you start Yeah, so my path is a little weird. Um, I grew up on a farm in Kentucky. I went to Ole Miss. I thought I was going to be a writer. And I moved to California. And I've, I've told the story a couple times, but I moved to California. And I thought I was going to write an amazing screenplay. It was the year Titanic came out. So it's like, you remember Titanic. And it's like, I'm clearly going to marry Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, <laughs> and I'll probably win an Oscar. And instead, I went to a temp agency and I became a receptionist at a company. And I knew a guy who knew a gentleman at the time who was the commissioner of the Arena Football League. He was looking for an assistant. And so I was like, okay, great. I love sports. Um, You know, this sounds great. And so there were about eight people on the staff of the Arena Football League at the time. And his name is David Baker. David just stepped down. He was he just retired from being the president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And uh David is uh, is, a, is a big personality, and he was a great boss for me. And the first day of work, he said, yeah, I have three things for you to do. I need you to get my dry cleaning. Now, Dave is 6'9", maybe 400 pounds. His dry cleaning is heavy. So <laughs> get my dry cleaning. I need you to balance my checkbook because, you know, that's what we did back in the late 90s, balance checkbooks. And I need you to call NFL owners and see if they want to buy an arena football team. And he handed me a piece of paper. And with 32 names on it. And he goes, fake it till you make it, kid. And he walked out. And I was like, what do I do? Do I call Jerry Jones? Do I go to the dry cleaners? <laughs> and I remember I like picked up the phone. I love that I'm using props today. I picked <laughs> up the phone and I just started making calls. And, and I'll tell you, the, the first gentleman that called back was um, Bud Adams, uh, the late Bud Adams. And he, he I answered the phone, office of the commissioner. And his response was, was is Rini there? And I'm like, um, one second, please. This is Rini. Like it was one of those because it's like, and then I'm like, Dave, we got one. We got one, one call. And so um, I was 22. And so my start was, um, I got to learn a lot about the business of sport because there were so few of us on the staff that we really got to, to lean in and learn a variety of things. I got to run our consumer products business. Probably I was 24. Um, I, you know, there were a moment of time they, they finally hired a guy years of, I'm probably four years in, uh, Glenn Harine, who was the president of properties. You guys know Glenn and Glenn was like, and at that time I was doing consumer products work and a little probably side hustle of other things at the arena football. And he goes, I think your skill set would be better served in the sponsorship space. And I was like, great, let's do it. So under (laughs) Glenn, I really learned about how to sell, how to present, how to proposals, how to think about just the strategy of the sponsorship side. And so I ended up doing that for probably six more years. I ended up being in arena football close to nine years. Um, and then I left and came here to the National Football League. And I think Dave's Dave's advice was really great, like fake it till you make it. But there's a moment in your career where you, you can't fake it. Like right now, you can't fake it at, at this level. And so ultimately, there was something in that moment of that of my career where I wasn't faking anymore. I became relatively pretty good, thankfully for the awesome team that's around me that I get to work with. Um, and then I've been here now for 16 years and started a new business and sponsorship, um, which is really you know part of where I met Tim, uh, pitching him all the time, um, a variety of things. Um, I think Tim, we have USAA, Marriott. Yeah. Um, a variety of other partners that we We got close on a couple of other ones. Yeah. 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 So this one, I have another prop. It's my very first partnership I ever did here at the NFL, the Bridgestone at the time, Super Bowl halftime show, uh, which was pretty awesome. And so, uh, and then I, here I've, I've had a lot of really great opportunities to learn with really great people. Uh, one of those, uh, Keith Turner is a great, uh, a mentor of mine and boss for, uh, he worked at NBC for a long time and he came over, um, and from Keith really got to learn about media sales, which was great because that's a, a area that I oversee here. And then consumer products over licensing and gaming, and then now legalized sports betting. So, um, it's a, it's a great job we have a great team. We work with awesome people, some of the best people in sports. So it's, uh, it's fun. It's never dull. 
Yeah, it's an amazing ride and congratulations on that. Tim, I'm a little concerned about the idea that the fake it until you make it has a expiration date on it. I was hoping we could, we could ride that thing for a while on this. There's, there's no, yeah, well. You, there's some places you can't fake it, guys. There's just some places you can't. You, you might have faked it for a while, but boy, have you made it. I mean, the, the way you started your career and where you are now, I, I think we're going to be, and the mentors that you've had and the bosses you've had, we're going to be hard pressed to, to match that with, with future guests. But um, the, the question we also would like to ask everybody is what piece of advice do you have for young people looking to break into the sports business? Well, but part of it is there's there's a little bit of the networking side of it. And I talk to a lot of young people a lot. They're doing internships. I think getting experience is so important. But I mean, the networking side and staying in touch with people and also like, don't be a jerk. I mean, we all know, right? Like the industry is very small. We all are going to go and work in different places. And, you know, I think the nice guy, nice gal thing, you know, Tim, that you highlight on it, it's it is a very small community of people. And so I always encourage people to network, continue to stay in touch with people, be a sponge, learn. I mean, you kind of hear that stuff all the, all the time, but one thing that is important and like about the growth I've had here, the growth I had here was because I worked really well and still do with the colleagues and my peers across the building. It's important that if you work in a silo or you don't think about other people's goals, then you're just going to you're just going to fail because, you know, ultimately, if if I'm just closing a deal to close a deal, but it doesn't solve a solution for football ops, it, it, you know, if it, if it can, that's a huge miss. And so teamwork and collaboration is super important and it just goes a long way for relationship building and networking. Um, I think that that part's really important. And look, it's I mean, we do a lot to to make the world a better place, but in the reality we're sports and entertainment. And so if we can do, do good, which is great, but also be good while we do it. I think that's, that's important. Speaking of which we do want to leave on one, one note. Uh, You have done a tremendous amount of good um, for the people in Western Kentucky who were recently impacted by those terrible tornadoes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I just, I, yeah, I just, no, I, so I incredibly I, touched by by what you did. It's really thoughtful of you, and it's so nice of you to also help you guys to support. I appreciate it. So I'm from Western Kentucky. I grew up, uh, as I mentioned, on a farm. The the tornadoes that hit in early December hit about 30 miles from where I grew up, and 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 were are devastating. And there are towns. I was talking to so many people in towns that have been uh, devastated, and you know, so many people wanted to help. Like, how can I help? And I would speak to people. How do I get? You know, I want to donate items. Well, there's no place to store the items because there are no buildings in certain towns because they're gone. And so I really thought about how I could help and use the network that I've had over this 20 plus years in sports. Um, and I and I spoke to Commissioner Goodell and I spoke to our PR people here because I wanted to make sure that if I did use the platform, it's not just Rini's platform, it's the National Football League's platform. And Roger was really supportive and over the top where, I mean, they, they promoted the platform on the NFL Network. Um, several NFL players supported and promoted it. One really cool story is that um, Joe Montana tweeted out about the fundraiser, which is really cool and so thoughtful. And one of Joe Montana's fans who follows him on Twitter reached out to me because he grew up close to there and he was also raising money and he was looking to donate two trucks of supplies from Camping World, like 18 wheelers. So probably $100,000 worth of supplies um, like flashlights and batteries, things like that. The challenge was that the town that he had negotiated to bring this to, they couldn't unload it and they couldn't store it. So he asked me for help. Can you help me find a place? And I was like, sure, let me call someone. So I called my cousin who lives in my town. And I'm like, hey, do you know anybody? And we were able to find a town that was next to a town that was devastated, that had a loading dock and a storage bin for all of this stuff, all thanks to Joe Montana sitting out a tweet about the fundraiser, which was awesome. Um, so it, everyone was really thoughtful and got so much support from friends, but also the sports community as a whole. So I'm really, I'm really, really, really thankful for that. And as of today, actually, um, we have it's about two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. I have two donations that are going directly to the Red Cross um, uh, in Western Kentucky that get us to that 250,000, which is awesome. So it's, uh, it's, it's been really great and is, is going to go a long way to help a lot of people. So thank you. 
That's great. Rini, thank you. We really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and we know it's a very busy time for you uh, as you're on the road to LA. Um, so good luck with everything. Thanks for taking the time with us thank today. You. On who do you guys, Wait, who do you guys have going to the Super Bowl? Who do you think? Uh, David, you want to go first? I am the, I'll, yeah. I'll preface it by saying I'm the world's worst prognosticators. <laughs> I'm saying Casey, uh, L.A. I'm saying Patrick Mahomes wins his second Super Bowl at the age of 26, which puts him on the par on the same footing with the GOAT. Tom and we'll see, his- right? We'll see what happens because when this airs, we will know who's in the games or not. So maybe we're, we're both are wrong, and we'll and it'll be totally something different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it could be exactly. It could be. Well, we'll, we'll as Tim and I like to say, we'll edit that in post. <laughs> <laughs> Rini, oh, really no, awesome. You know, your words, will, your mouth will say something, but it will have a, it will sound like it. It will look like you're saying. Uh, Kansas City, but it will actually come out Bengals. Who knows? It, we'll see. It, it does that anyway. The way we speak, <laughs> that happens anyway. That happens naturally. Rini, thank you so much. Appreciate thank the time so and the much. unbelievable insight. Thanks for all you do for the sports industry, guys. It's great. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So before we say goodbye, uh, David has some final thoughts. David, what's on your mind as we uh, as we close out this week's episode? Well, obviously, I will be overeating, be watching very expensive television ads along with millions of others, and hoping for some exciting football. Now, this is a time of show when we normally suggest what we'll be looking forward to during the week. I think, however, as we do look ahead, we need to come clean on a few past predictions. Neither of us got the Super Bowl, right? I picked the Chiefs to beat the Bengals in the AFC Championship. Now, I'm going to leave it to you to make your own peace with your choice that we went over with Rini. Uh, but I also ha- I, di- I also had several, uh, several weeks ago, I made a prediction about MLB and the Players Association negotiation coming along. And obviously, I was way too optimistic on that one because it seems like they're a little back entrenched and uh, maybe not moving forward. Uh, right now. We'll see how that goes, but it's not looking good. Uh, your fear may be realized that you talked about. A couple things that we also mentioned that I do feel really good about, though, prediction-wise, was the NHL Skills Challenge from Vegas was a hoot. Really enjoyed watching it. NHL gets major props for putting together some great ideas that really took advantage of the market that they were in, in this case, Vegas. Um, really entertaining show, I thought. And NASCAR, for running the Bush Light Clash at the LA Coliseum. It was fun, it was fresh, and for every longtime fan that thinks the pendulum has moved in the wrong direction for NASCAR, putting an event at a, uh, in, a in the LA Coliseum in, right in Los Angeles, I'd say there are at least one and a half people that the sport opened their eyes a little bit and uh, got a bit of a new perspective. So a net positive for NASCAR, net positive for Steve Phelps, the president, and a big net positive for Ben Kennedy, the SVP of, of innovation and strategy for NASCAR. And Ben is the, the great grandson of Big Bill France, the founder of NASCAR. So uh, very, very cool. And the numbers that I've seen have been pretty impressive. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we'll go back next week to talking about a variety of different sports. But um, the great thing about the first quarter of the year is how many great events are packed into three months. Um, and I think that Bush Clash was uh, was a great example. You're, you're absolutely right. We've got the Daytona 500 coming up, so I'm sure we're going to be talking NASCAR in, in upcoming episodes. Uh, the All-Star Game in the NHL, to me, is one of the most enjoyable uh, All-Star Games to watch. They're always, uh, they're always innovative with their format and the skills challenge. And uh, But, uh, you know, the Super Bowl is uh, is going to be a, a lot of fun to watch and to just close out on your point. Another reason I don't bet is I am the world's worst progress. progress <laughs> I can't even say it. World's worst prognosticator. And, um, you know, for those of you who continue to listen to to the extent that I do make predictions, you'll find that uh, by and large, if you bet against my picks, you'll do pretty well. You'll be contributing to the tax revenues of the states where you place your bets. Well, okay, so I take it you're not going to throw a, not a wager, but a prediction down here. 
whatever I predict will be wrong. Okay. So let's let's try it. Let's try it. Um, I believe Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals will beat Matt Stafford and the Rams 24-21. Well, you go into major detail on your bet, so I will say I will say that. I go big or go home, David. Go big or go home. Okay, Mr. (laughs) Prognosticator. Um, (laughs) Now I'm going to say the Rams are going to are going to pull this out, but I I actually think it's going to be quite a good game. So my prognostication may be bad on that front, but I but I feel like these teams should put on one heck of a show. One of us will be right about the about the team winning. One of us will be right about the over under on the viewership. So with that, we bring another show to a close. Huge thanks to our guest, Rini Anderson, for joining us today and to you for spending some time with us. Remember to follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. And you know what? Let us know what you think. Take care. We'll talk soon. Yeah.